0: Hi everyone, it's Mikey Robbins here. Now, Paul and I are working on the next season of Heroes and Howlers, aren't we, Paul? We certainly are. It's a new heroes, some new howlers, and new guests. Lots of guests. It's going to be a bit different. But before we get to that, we've got to go back and check out some of our old, classic old episodes. And in this one, it's about the Vikings, the ones that went east. Hi everyone, and welcome to Heroes and Howlers, and the rest is history. Mikey Robbins, I'm a bit of a history nerd. But my mate Paul Wilson. Hi everybody. Paul's a proper historian
1: all the way from Oxford. Thanks, Mikey. Okay, folks, so here's the show. It's about the unsung heroes, yeah. the bizarre twists of fate, those weird bits of history that have surreptitiously so changed the course of mankind. Yeah, actually made it. It's also about the
0: cock-ups. <laughs> yeah. Those howlers, the moments of madness, and they're sometimes tragic, sometimes comical, that have made the world what it is today. Folks, And today we're going to be talking about those wacky warriors of the wide ocean,
1: the Vikings. That's right. And uh, no, we're not talking Ragnar Lothbrok and all those ones you see on the TV series, you know, shaggy beaches, all that kind of thing. And um, to be honest, I'm not going to even comment about those rip bodices and <laughs> axe-wielding no, in, in uh,
0: fa- in, berserkers. No, in fact, the less bodice talk, I, I think it's the best. But today we are actually talking historical, not television vikings
1: that's right mikey because we've not got one horned helmet between us have we no mate in fact i think most people know by now that the
0: horned helmet the viking horny helmet is a myth it's that's in, right in fact it can be traced back to well one of my favorite bugs bunny cartoons <laughs> which is based yeah with elmer fudd which is based on where we get the, the old horned helmet from which is Wagner. yeah it's one of those things the ring a, that's the, right. the ring cycle quaff if something feels a bit whiffy I tend to
1: blame Wagner. Yeah, he's a howler, all right. But today, we're talking about real Vikings, what we call, or what were called, the Sea Kings, the Seconugla, which is... <laughs> okay, the, okay, mate, I'll tell you what. That's my bad pronunciation for once. And let's not yeah. use that word again. Yeah, exactly. This, the, if you look in the Norse sagas, yeah. that's what the names are for these Viking chieftains, the Sea Kings, because they really were the kings of the sea. Um, and also, of course, the rivers. Now, nowadays... Yeah, we talk about or we consider the sea as a bit of a divider, don't we, Mike? Yeah, exactly. The border separates one side from the other. Yeah, English Channel separates England from uh, from France. And let's face it, most countries these days patrol their borders on the ocean. That's right. Yeah, the Mediterranean separates Europe from Africa. The Atlantic separates the old world from the new world, doesn't it? yeah? Yeah. But back in history, Mike, the interesting thing is the sea and the seas. They were the main highways, yeah, that brought people together. They were the heart for these common cultures. Yeah, so when you look at ancient Greece, sure. right, you've got the peninsula with all the the great Greek cities, but you've also got all those Ionian states um, on the other side That's of the Aegean mo- Sea. So, modern Turkey, modern day Turkey, modern day Anatolia, right? Yeah, you know, your Miletus, your Ephesus, you're Smyrna. What's modern modern day Ismir, isn't it? Right. Um. So. In the heart of that, the Aegean Sea doesn't separate them, it brings them together, it binds that Hellenic world together. Yeah. You know? And then of course, yeah, you know, a bit later on you've got the Celts. They use the sea as their highways from the west coast of Scotland to Cornwall to Brittany, right down to Northwest Spain. Yeah, you know? and you can see that today in the football teams. Yeah, you know, you've got oh, yeah. Glasgow Celtic up in Scotland. Then you've got Celta Vigo down in Galicia, you know, Northwest Spain. Because in many ways especially in the olden days, it was easier to travel across the seas in your boat than it was to go over a mountain or to go inland where there might be, you know, baddies waiting to capture you. And in many ways, actually, the Celtics were... Early four runners for the Vikings, weren't they, Mikey? Because you know, with the Vikings, with their great long ships, because the Vikings had the technology. Yeah, well, they had those amazing, you know, obviously very uh, fearsome long ships, but they were technologically very advanced. You know, they could use oars, but they could also use sails. And from Denmark and and Norway, you know, they're coming down in the hundreds, even thousands, to Normandy, Northern Britain, the Orkneys, Faroes, Shetlands, Iceland, Greenland, even North America, as we talked about in the other episode, didn't we? Eric the Red and Leif Erikson. Precisely. And later on, you then have, from Normandy, you got them going again, like a sort of second wave. Yeah. And you got people like Roger, the great Roger of Sicily, who's one of and then maybe, oh, I'm, sorry, I'm sorry about the great Roger of Sicily. Uh, yeah, no, but maybe, well, yeah. maybe a hero for a later episode. Yeah. But he, he goes down, he takes Gibraltar, Malta, and, of course, uh, Sicily. Because you have to remember, yeah, I mentioned technology.
0: Those Viking longships at the time, mm. the only thing I can really com- compare them to now in terms of how cutting edge they were mm. is you see, you see the new carbon fibre boats during right. the America's Cup. Yep.
1: I mean, they were at the cutting edge of nautical technology. That's right, and I think that's the, the key here. Because you know, we talk about Vikings as these big hairy barbarians coming and raping and pillaging and you know, but they're also at the same time, they were looking at trade. Yep. um and yeah, they're very sophisticated people. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that, mate, because yes, they might have been hairy. <laughs> but the way that yeah, they often get you know
0: described or or, or considered, Mm. is sort of like a a smelly, um, bikey gang with boats. And they weren't. They were actually very well-groomed people. Mm. Archaeologists have found recently in in burial mounds razors, tweezers, Mm. combs, and even bone earbuds for for filling out the wax. Sort of early... Yeah, yeah, exactly. They're also... well, chronicled to bathe at least once a week, which was right. way ahead of the European norm at the time. Right, and being scandy, they loved nothing more than sitting in a hot tub. Oh, well, yes, a ho- a hot, hot spring. spring yeah, 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 hot yeah. springs everywhere. So, yeah. so, so they didn't smell, and they were well, they weren't all blonde, but they did like appearing blonde if That's they were right. blonde.
1: That's right, yes, yes. Yeah, they, they, they would they dye well, their the hair or it's, even it's one, their
0: beards, I think? It's one of those things where it might have been a necessity and also to a fashion trend because they would dye <laughs> their hair with lyle and potash. Right. This also had the upside of killing head lice. right. right which is right. a good thing, particularly if you're cramped together on a boat and the guys would dip their beards. But the one thing yep. I didn't know, mm. and this comes from Middle East chroniclers and also mm. to some European ones, they talk about Vikings of both gender mm. using coal, K-O-H-L. K-O-H-L, yeah. It's, it's a rather... Yeah, the black, that black sooty yeah. stuff, yeah. and it requires a fair amount of, of chemical knowledge to mm. make this stuff. And they would wear it, well, some scholars like to say that they, they would wear it under their eyes to stop the reflection off the snow and off the sea. Bit right. like bit like NFL players oh, yeah, 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 at, yeah, at, yeah. at a night game. Yeah, Yeah, or maybe they just work it because <laughs> it looked good. And if you don't
1: think a bunch of weirdos wearing eyeliner is scary go and re-watch a clockwork orange yep yeah, that's right Mikey, because yeah reputations did precede them you know as these Marauders and the barbarians but really you know they were sophisticated and they weren't just there to smash and grab they were also very very important Traders you know they were key traders they're from the Amber Road up in the Baltic and the interesting thing is yeah. they weren't just trading west right oh, you know what we what we normally think of as Vikings going to Britain and normally and and Ireland. And- they were also trading in East, ah. right? Because the Norwegians, the Danish may have gone west, but the Swedes, right. their focus was always eastwards, the Swedish Vikings. Yeah, they'd go through the Baltic, they'd go into what's present-day Russia, Ukraine. Um, and that, of course, is where we get the name Russia, Russians from, because the Slavs who lived in the Ukraine and what is now Russia, they gave them this name, the Rus. Um, which we're pretty sure comes from the Finnish word ruotsi, uh, which was the Finnish word f- which they called these Swedish rowers, these Swedish oarsmen, um, and coming from particularly from that Swedish region of Roslagen. All right, but th- these Swedish rowers, mm. they weren't just
0: going in to get a bit of amber from, from the Baltic mm. and head back, they actually established
1: large large, That's pop, right. large populations there. Uh, and this is my uh hero for today's episode actually, Mikey, because I think it's one of the really missed points of yeah. particularly viking history is that as much as they conquered and went to the west, they also set up this massive tra- trading empire and colonized to the east as well. So so my guy is the Rus chieftain Rurik and I think he was one of the great conquerors because he unified all the tribes. He established the kingdom of Novgorod in the 9th century, so we're in the 9th century now. Yeah. Right. Um, he established his Rurik dynasty. Oh, and, hang on, I've heard of this, yeah. Yeah, well, this is the dynasty that becomes the Grand Duchy of Moscow, that becomes the Romanovs, that becomes Tsar Nicholas II. Second. <laughs> So we're talking Vikings today, but
0: not just any Vikings. Paul's talking about his hero, Chieftain Rurik, and the Vikings that
1: went East. That's right. So in 862, they build Novgorod. Now, <laughs> Novgorod means new town. Oh, is, here yeah, we go. Yeah, typical. Yeah, when these new towns that are really, really old. <laughs> we we yeah, like but, to do that in Europe. So oh, I'm right, about
0: no, no, right? no, say, every new
1: town I can think of that's in England where you're from is at least a thousand years old. That's right. Yeah. And, and yeah, I went to New College, which is one of Oxford's oldest. Uh, anyway, but this Novgorod, this is the one that's near St. Petersburg, not the one that was called Nizhny Novgorod near Moscow these days. And this is one of the original ones up by the finnish border up by those big estuaries coming in off the baltic there now he starts the Rurik dynasty we're in the ninth century and by the 14th century this this dynasty still going this dynasty still going the duchy it becomes the duchy of moscow and novgorod in the 14th century is one of the large 10 largest cities in the whole of europe Right? So that just gives you an idea of of, really? of, of what they set up. Yeah, and they also, of course, they have their they set it they established these junior houses like the House of Kiev and they're spreading down into towards the Black Sea and then eventually also to the Caspian because these guys, like I said, they are looking. They, sure, they, they they're looking to conquer, but they're looking to trade. Now, when you say trade, mate, what are they really looking at? Because you know, let's face it, you're traveling in a certain direction because you're after certain things. That's right. Because in Europe at this stage, you've had the Dark Ages, yeah. So yeah. a lot of wealth has disappeared. You know, it's the real wealth now is in the East, in the Abbasid Caliphate, which has the great silver coins, mm-hmm. and in Byzantium, which are not me. Let me guess: gold. Which has the gold. That's, yeah. They still have gold coinage and they still have a lot of gold. So these um, Vikings, these Rus can come down with their amber, with their furs, with their timber. and, and, and With their slaves. And we've got to admit also with their slaves. Yeah, 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 again, they're not all nicey, nicey. No, be no, no, no. Let's face it. All Vikings everywhere weren't <laughs> adverse to a little bit yeah. of yeah, taking slaves. But they're coming down here. They, they've got their sights set on Constantinople, set um, on the Abbasid Caliphate, because they know that's where the, the big wealth is. And they use all the river systems coming out of the Baltic, into Russia, into Ukraine, you the know, Dons, you Volga, Dnieper, Dunista, all these rivers, because it's quite interesting. Back then, Mikey, uh, the, the water levels were much, much higher than they are now. Having said that, though, the boats they used, correct me if
0: I'm wrong, were of a somewhat different design to the ones that went to sea.
1: Well, that's it, and deliberately so. You see, the long ships that everyone thinks of as Viking ships, yes, they were flat-bottomed, and yes, they were lighter than most of the other ships in Europe at the time, which gave Vikings like Ragnar Lothbrok their advantage. But these ships, the ones they used in the east what the Byzantines called the Monoxilla. Monoxyla? I mean, it sounds like something which should come with a medical warning. <laughs> right. Yeah, like If you take monoxyla, <laughs> side effects may occur. Yes, but these monoxilla, they were even flatter on the bottom, specifically for rivers rather than seas. Oh, like a right? barge. Yeah, more like barges, but also very important, these are, they're the sort of boats that you can pick up. So when you do get to the heads of the river, yeah. when you do get to some portage, you can literally pick those ships out of the one river, cross a mile or two miles, whatever it would be, to the head of the next river, and that way you can get all the way down from the Baltic, down to the Black Sea, and even across to the Caspian Sea. Now, you say they're trading, but let's be honest, they are
0: Viking stock. So they're trading with, well, dare I say, extreme prejudice.
1: <laughs> yeah, They're not shy with an axe. That's right, that's true. But, yeah, there is a bit of you know, gunboat or long-ship diplomacy because they do want to attack constantinople as much as they want to trade with it and in the 10th century uh, the the rurik and the rus they launched repeated massive attacks but of course you remember we said in the very very first episode didn't we constantinople has the the, the, thickest fierce, the thickest walls, the fiercest walls, the best defence of any city. In fact, it's and, not
0: until not not the 15th century that it's it all the, the, That's the right. but, but Let's face it, that also means that you know these people, these, these Vikings, the Rus, they just
1: go on the long list of folks who've had a crack at Constantinople. <laughs> That's right. But they leave an impression, Mike. Right. They, they, um, they, they certainly, everyone knows who they are by the end of the 10th century. So a young chap called Basil II. <laughs> you may have heard of Emperor Basil, Basil, he be, he's the guy who... Did, did he build <laughs> faulty towers? I'm sorry. I, someone had to say it. It's now, done. Move he, on. Basil is the guy who became known as the Bulgar Slayer. Oh, and, hang on. Yeah, like... He rules for 50 years in Constantinople. But when he comes to the throne and um, when he starts out, he's in a really precarious position because you've got these two great generals, uh, Bardas Skleros and uh, um, Bardas Phokas, And these two... Um, say, well, hang on, we're actually more powerful than you. You may be the, the emperor, but we're the generals. And they end up having a, this civil war, effectively, um, in the Byzantine Empire. So Basil says, okay, I need I need some backup here. Right. And who does he call? The Rus'. Yeah. So he calls Vladimir I, who is the head chief of, of Kiev. Oh, he's from Kiev, right. Kiev, yes. yeah, which is, what, well, like I said, one of the junior branches of the Rus'. And um, so, so he turn up with the, with, the, with the contingent? Yeah, he says, well, look, okay, I'll send you 6,000 of my crack troops as long as, in return, you offer me your sister, your sister's hand in marriage, Anna. Okay, now... Anna's not very happy about this nah, fair she, enough. she doesn't want to go marry some hairy barbarian um, yeah, but, has, but Basil says look you know they're not that hairy they're not that barbarous well in fact they you dye know? their hair and, and their ears yeah, are impeccable they've got, they've got cotton buds for their ears yeah, and everything yeah, what, lovely. More, you know, and more coal than you can put eyeliner on than you can shake a sticker so eventually Anna says okay I'll do it he sends 6,000 men down Basil wins he defeats both the generals conquers them sorts, finishes the civil war she marries Vladimir and she brings with her her Christianity, her priests, and her Bible, which becomes the Russian Orthodox Church. For The next thousand years, oh, because I'm assuming Vladimir was probably not Christian when she told Well, that's up. it, yeah. So he had to convert. That was that was her. That was Anna said, I'm not marrying him unless he converts to Christianity. So he he converts to Christianity, and she brings the orthodoxy from Byzantine, from Byzantine. So that is why the Russian Orthodox Church is, is always connected to the Greek Orthodox. You Church. know what? I've always wondered about that. There Thanks for he... so clearing that one up for all me, all right. right. <laughs> okay, so. They, Constantinople, and of course, they arrive by sea, by river, all these um, 6,000 men. Um, And Basil says, you know what? This is really, really useful. Do you mind if they stay? Yeah, so Vladimir says, well, you know, okay. um, It's going to cost. It's going to cost again. But, you know, if you've given me your sister, we've we've done a peace treaty. where We'll do a bit more trade in all those nice bits of gold we were talking about before. And you can keep those 6,000 men. And sure enough, they form what becomes known as the Varangian Guard, which is the Men of Pledge. And so
0: so, when you say Men of Pledge, their
1: pledge is to the... Their pledge is to Basil, right? Yeah, yeah. The Emperor of of Constantinople. That's right. So these guys, they're not technically, they're not true blue Vikings. They're actually, the Varangians are what was the name that was given to the sort of mix of the Scandinavian, Swedish and Slav uh, uh, race in that area. Actually, I'm glad you mentioned that because scientists have shown there is quite, quite a large amount of, of Slav DNA in Viking DNA. Exactly. Yeah. So they are given, they become like an elite core, if you like, right. like you know, to protect the emperor. Um, and then, of course, because they're so good, um, he, he ends up using them as his like crack troops in battle and this kind of thing because they've got no local ties. Exactly cuz you know what Byzantine emperors yeah you know, all mm. the intrigue and corruption yeah there's all everyone's trying to knock each other off but these guys they've got no um, they've, their only allegiance is straight to the emperor. Yeah? The guy who's paying them. The b- guy who's paying them. And it's a very, very simple transaction. So there's no there's no wishy-washy. You know, they don't even speak the language, so they, you know, they, they can't even negotiate with the locals. They've got no local ties, no local marriages. And that is why the emperor is able to rely on them so heavily, and they be- basically become the kingmakers in the Byzantine Empire. In fact, they actually lift their mark in one of the most important buildings in the world, in Istanbul, the Hagia Sophia. Oh, yes, the Hagia Sophia. Right? Exactly, my So So yeah, this is the great building in what's now Istanbul. It started off its life as a cathedral. Mm. Then it became a mosque. Yeah, and 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 so yeah, and the Vikings. Well, yeah, well, see, there's graffiti
0: all through it. There's lots of people have, have etched in ships, but some of them actually have, you know, dragon heads, and, are, are, and they are long boats. They are Viking boats. Graffiti, and then we're talking on the walls inside the actual yeah, building, yeah, aren't we, Mike? Yeah, in fact, at the base of some statues, but on the um, top floor of the southern gallery, mm. a few have carved their names in, <laughs> including one bloke called Halfdan. Right, and it was dis- this was only discovered in 1964. Mm. He carves in Halfdan carved these runes, which is pretty much Varangian <laughs> stroke Viking for Halfdan, Halfdan was, was here. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking about Vikings, but particularly we're talking about those Vikings that went east. Yes, and in particular the
1: Varangian Guard. The Varangian Guard. Now, well, these guys? You know, I'm assuming they were well rewarded. Oh, very much so, Mike. Yeah, yeah. These, these the Emperor loved these guys, and yeah, you know, they would he would give them the silks, he would give them gold. <laughs> and I, this is a nice story yeah. um, from one of the sources that says on the night of each emperor's death yeah. because they were handed over from one emperor to the next. Right. But on the night of the emperor's death, they had the right to run to the imperial treasury and each man was allowed to take as much gold as he could personally carry. It's like that game used to be on TV with a supermarket and a trolley, <laughs> <Supermarket> <laughs> but
0: it's with the crown jewels. Yes. Yeah, but also uh, too, they weren't just important in, in, in
1: Byzantium and in Constantinople because these Varangians they had influence throughout Europe. Their name Spread across Europe, yeah. Their reputation spread across Europe, but they actually also physically spread across Europe, yeah. Because, for example, you got that guy Harold Hedrada. you, oh, you, you may remember ten sixty six and all that. Yeah, exactly. So he's not the one who fights. He's not that Harold who fights William the Conqueror. He's the Norwegian king who comes over and fights Harold Godwinson first of all up at Stamford Bridge, up up in the north. Ah, oh, that's the battle that happens before Hastings, There's, and we, the one that Harold Godwinson wins. Because Harold Hadrada, he loses and goes back to Norway, leaving Harold Godwinson to go and then fight, unfortunately, and lose to William the Conqueror. Yeah, But it just shows you how important the Varangian Guard were because Harold Hadrada, he'd been brought up in Constantinople by the Guard when he was in exile before he could come back and claim his kingship in Norway. Right. And then, funnily enough, After 1066, after the Anglo-Saxons get defeated, Harold Godwinson gets defeated by William the Conqueror, a lot of Anglo-Saxons leave the country. Leave England. Leave England because they don't want to be part of the Norman world. They don't like the Normans. No one did. (laughs) No no one did. did. And they go to Constantinople and they join up, they sign up. So the Varangian Guard now starts employing not just Vikings, but also Anglo-Saxons as well. And, yeah, you can see this influence for the next two, three, 400 years. And back home in Scandinavia, and Russia... Their cultural legacy lives even longer, particularly in terms of art, even the architecture. You know, and if you go to Sweden today, you can see these beautiful rune stones. You know, the, the big, big stone carvings, um, and on there are carved the commemorations of the martial deeds of the illustrious Varangian Guard. Oh, wow. <laughs>